Welcome in, everybody, to another episode of Cyberly. I'm your host, Blythe Brumleave, and this is the show where we talk about B2B marketing, the creator, and attention economy, and how it all fits into the world of logistics. And in today's episode, I've got a pretty good one for you. I hope all of them are good, actually. But in this particular episode, we are talking about Mother's Day and the logistics of fresh flowers. We're talking about how trucking companies can use influencers for recruiting. And then Tom Augenthaler is breaking down the pitfalls that common pitfalls that companies face when they want to dip their toes into those influencer waters, and then also how you can avoid those common pitfalls and overcome those common challenges. So first up on the list of hot topics that we're going to dive into, you guys seem to really like the logistics of horse transportation in last week's show that we did for the Kentucky Derby. So in this week's show with Mother's Day coming up on Sunday, we are going to talk about the logistics of fresh flowers. And I know that especially after last year, my own mother had to throw together last minute holiday preparations because of last minute cancellations for Thanksgiving, for Christmas. So this Mother's Day, considering that we weren't able to really celebrate it like we wanted to last year, this Mother's Day feels A, like we need to go the extra mile in order to celebrate mom. And then B, we need to uh, get on the ball about getting those gifts in because it is feels so early. And the reason that it feels so early for Mother's Day to be occurring is is because May 1st happened on a Saturday. And Mother's Day usually happens on the second Saturday of each month. And so because of the, you know celebrating the greatest logistician of all time, which is our moms, she's responsible for setting up the inventory management for our homes, transporting kids to and from work, uh, you know, going to work herself. She really goes above and beyond. So in this show, we're going to honor mom. We're going to pay some respects to her. And a lot of people are actually doing that this year because of some new numbers that are coming out from the National Retail Federation on how consumers are planning on celebrating Mother's Day. And last year, like I said, everybody was pretty locked down. So there wasn't a whole lot of celebrating going on, especially the the traditional methods of going out to eat at a restaurant. Uh, That really didn't happen last year unless you you were one of the few places that were actually still open or maybe you got some to-go orders from different restaurants. Uh, But for this year, consumers considerable amount of consumers are going to be spending a lot more money than they did last year. So if you celebrated remotely or virtually for Mother's Day last year, now's your chance to make up for it. It's probably a little bit too late to order that Amazon shipment because e-commerce delays are happening everywhere. But this is how consumers are actually going to be spending their money. 83% of folks expect to celebrate Mother's Day this year, according to the National Retail Federation. And of that, of those people that are celebrating, they're spending an average of $220. But what types of products are consumers buying? Now, obviously, a lot of that money, it's going towards food, it's going towards going out to dinner, maybe even some brunches that seems to be very popular within the restaurant industry for this year. Greeting cards were also big on the list as far as where people are spending their money. But those, if you notice this number, it's actually starting to slowly decline. But flowers are making a big comeback from their first ever dip in 2020. And it started making me question a little bit of like, why did flowers dip 
last year. And of course, related to everything else in the world, whenever COVID hit, supply chain issues affected everything. And that includes flowers, which has such a short lifespan from the time that they are picked. And so I ran across this article from Langham Logistics, and it says about 90% of all fresh flowers come from Latin America. And the minute a flower is picked, it begins to decompose. So this starts a race against the clock. So flowers are immediately cut, bundled, and processed early in the morning. All fresh flowers are cut first thing in the morning. And then the trucks, they're placed on trucks where they chill the flowers to about 35 degrees. And so then they enter a state of dormancy. And so they don't, it prevents them from blooming, from wilting and requiring too much water. Then the trucks take the flowers to a cold storage facility near the airport where they are palletized and stacked. And within 90 minutes, the flowers get loaded onto a chilled airplane and each plate holds about 50 ton of flowers worth around a million dollars. And the flowers hit the skies on the same day that they are picked. And so growers then package the flowers differently depending on the type of flower that they are. Most are put into sort of, I guess, you know, a normal horizontal box, but then other ones are put into what's called a percona. And that almost looks like it's basically like a big uh, bin of water and the flowers are placed standing vertical in that bin. And then there's a box, a cardboard box that actually surrounds the flower themselves. So I thought that that was interesting that there's two different methods of how to ship flowers. I, I would imagine that the more expensive flowers get put in the percona versus the latter where or versus the former where some of those other flowers that maybe they're not as expensive or maybe it's not like, you know, the three dozen red roses that are maybe not going to be put into a horizontal package. They're going to be put in more of that expensive mode of transportation because water is heavier. So obviously the percona is going to make those transportation costs a little bit higher. Now, then the flowers, they're coming from Latin America. They're put on a plane bound for Miami, one of the hottest cities in the world. And UPS says that once they land, it only takes about 45 minutes to put them in the back into a temperature-controlled environment. I believe we have an infographic that UPS created in order to show the journey of a the, the, the journey of the flower from the time that it's picked in order to the time that it arrives on trucks and then transported over to Miami. So then they go through customs, they're shipped off to a large flower companies and wholesalers, where then the local shops were then start arranging them and handling that last mile delivery. UPS says that the entire trip from origin to destination takes anywhere from 24 to 72 hours, which I thought was really impressive. So from the time that they're picked to the time that they arrive at the local flower shop or the wholesaler shop is anywhere from 24 to 72 hours. So it's pretty incredible. And so it, it brings back a, a couple of other questions where what types of flowers are folks buying and where did this kind of all start? Why did we start giving out flowers as gifts? So quickly, little Google search led me to see that beginning in early as the ancient Greek days, they associated flowers with beauty and they used them as offerings to the gods. And then ancient Egyptians, another ancient civilization, would also adorn their chariots with flowers before riding off into war. And they would also give them as gifts to lovers and gods to show their adoration. And then during the Victorian era, so during like the ancient Greeks and the ancient Egyptian times, giving flowers was more of a royal thing. It wasn't until the Victorian era that when it was sort of the common people that weren't allowed to show uh, much emotion, they weren't allowed to communicate that often. So flowers became a way for them to communicate with other people. And so it was a way for individuals specifically in order to communicate with others. And so thus 
the individual flower boom business started blooming. And so now back, you know, flash forward to modern times, folks still uphold this tradition, but it comes in more of a variety of ways. Because as far as who is buying the flowers and what kind of flowers are they actually buying? From aboutflowers.com, 80% are giving fl fresh flowers 40% are outdoor bedding and garden plants. 37% are flowering house plants and 23% are green house plants. That's typically how people buy for Mother's Day and how they, they give out those flowers as a gift. Flowers are also scientifically proven to provide a moment of calm. And so research from University of North Florida right here in Jacksonville, Florida, where I'm based, the Department of Public Health shows that living with flowers significantly reduces our stress. So it's good news considering that 68% of people report experiencing stress weekly and 32% feel it daily. And so celebrating mom and helping to reduce her stress by giving flowers now makes a ton of sense. And I think after the year that probably most mothers had in order to go the extra mile to take care of their kids, I think a good bouquet of flowers will go a long way. Now, speaking of stress, there seems to be a lot of it, especially in the driver recruiting world. And I'm not sure that flowers will actually solve this problem. But this came from the email from what the trucks email earlier in this week about truck driver recruiting and how big of an issue it is. And it has been an issue for a while. It's something that's not going away. But we got some actual numbers in that was included in the what the truck email. With drivers still in short supply, carriers are having to increase wages by as much as 20% in some cases to help fill the seats. According to the TCA data, insurance costs as much of a insurance costs as a much of a percentage of revenue jumped 16% in the first two months of this year. Some analysts have also looked at headwinds as stumbling as a stumbling block in the first quarter, and they anticipate a full year of strong growth. Now, with earnings rolling in, many carriers are hauling in the profits now. Covenant declared that this, they had the strongest first quarter in its history. However, if sustained elevations in both pay and insurance premiums don't keep pace with rates, decisions made now could come back to haunt carriers later on in the year. So knowing that context, let's go ahead and just put a pin in that because I'm going to read off a couple different stats as far as marketing budgets are concerned. Because more than 260 digital marketing professionals were asked about how they plan to adjust their advertising budget budgets for the rest of this year. They were surveyed by Nielsen and it indicates that most digital marketers plan to spend more on advertising this year than any other channel. And that and on those channels that are going to be benefiting the most. So how are those ad budgets evolving? What channels are they making those determinations for? They're increasing the spending on ad, social media ads first, then search ads, then video, and then email. And so while you're looking at this graphic, you can see on the left-hand side, you know, the, the things that are dominating, that social media, that search, this video, that's email. And then where the spending is going to be decreased on the right-hand side of the graph, you can notice that print, radio, cinema will all have the biggest drops in spending. And so with marketers that are more comfortable with measuring ROI, they're going with email subscribers. And so if, if you're measuring the ROI of your marketing efforts, these marketers feel the most confident that they can measure the ROI with social media and with email and also with video. 
And so knowing all of that, I think there's some synergy that we can get to between how companies can adjust their budgets and then get drivers to encourage newsletter signups. Because if you take a step back and, and you think about where recruiters and even recruiting firms and other carriers are going to be spending their money, if these marketers within these companies or within other companies are very confident that they can detect ROI or even track ROI through these other mediums, through video, through email, and through social media, it kind of begs the question of, as if, if we're facing all of these issues, then why aren't these companies going out and seeking these drivers in order to work with these drivers as influencers, as brand ambassadors? Now, I'm a big fan of TikTok. And I randomly scroll it, you know, usually once or twice a day, I will go through my feed and find different engaging content. And I like to see how marketers or how companies are out there marketing their products and how they're doing it in a clever way. Or are they marketing themselves versus a product? It's really interesting to watch the shift in consumer attention and how we're spending our time online. And then thus how these creators are creating their messaging behind a lot of the goals that they're trying to get around. And one of those or one of those personalities that I came across was a, a guy by the name of Trucker Wazir. And he made a recruiting video and it was a really good one. Let's play it for you guys. There are over 1 million trucking companies in the United States. Can you guess which one I drive for? We are here at the headquarters of Stevens Transport in Dallas, Texas, where I learned the ancient art of truck driving. Stevens Transport has the industry-leading CDL training program. It only lasts three weeks and has a guaranteed hiring at the end of the school. At this very school is where I learned everything from backing and maneuvering to parallel parking to how to do a pre-trip. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just so nostalgic. I haven't been here since I was a wee lad. When I came to Stevens Transport, I didn't know one thing about truck driving. But by taking the training program, I went from absolute novice to being able to do my job effectively on a daily basis. Now that is such a great example. And I thought for sure watching it, I'm like, he's absolutely getting paid for this video. And I checked the comments. He is not getting paid for this video. He just made it on his on his own. And it was a great video. This is doing numbers on his account. Let, let's go ahead and check out another one talking about getting through truck driving school. This is three ways to get through driving school easy. Number one, study in groups. You can fill in the gaps that they have and they can fill in the gaps that you have. And in the end, you'll make some new friends in a new industry. Number two, use apps. I passed all my written tests the first time and did not have to go back to the DPS because I studied the apps. They have flashcards, video content, and all kinds of stuff that will help you Number three, get out of your head. I had to take the driving portion of my CDL test twice because I failed a parking because I got nervous and left my tire out. I came back and passed it on the second time, but I would have saved a lot of time if I would have stopped, breathed, and used what I learned in driving school. You can do this. 
Now, this gentleman has posted around 20 videos. He's amassed close to 300,000 followers, and his content, just about 20 videos or so, has 3.3 million likes on it. And so for me, this is a golden opportunity for recruiting firms to use content like this, and it's mind-boggling why they aren't. And so if I'm in charge of recruiting at a big carrier, I'm immediately... I am taking notes of that video that I just saw. And then I'm going to use that as an example to shoot out an email to all of my drivers and ask them if they'd be interested in starting up an influencer recruiting fund and how that fund would look like. What would the ramifications, not the ramifications, but what would that program look like from a detail level? Would you expect your drivers to create content every week? Would you almost make it a competition between them on who can get the most engagement, who can create you know, the, the, the best videos? All of these videos that probably took him an hour and a half to shoot. He probably did it on his on his downtime. And then it took him a little while to stitch it together and add in the different sound effects. I'm actually going to be working on getting him on a future show so he can break down exactly how he does it because that numbers don't lie. 300,000 followers and 3.3 million likes and he's made around 20 videos. That that to me is incredible. And so I'm using that as a blueprint in my recruiting materials and I would offer bonuses. Offer bonuses for best, for best performing content if I'm a recruiter. And I would also seek out that any content that's already performing well Instead of paying five grand for a print ad that you're not sure if anybody is going to ever see, then why don't throw that five grand towards your drivers in order for them to make great content? And then you can use that content across all of your social media, your email, your website. And then it also increases your word of mouth marketing. It's just, it's it's such a better use of money that you can see the direct, you can go into the comments of both of those videos right now and you could see potential drivers who are now interested and becoming a truck driver who are looking for a new career. And they saw his video and liked his video. And that's that kind of introductory educational content that I think not enough companies are taking advantage of, especially not in the trucking space. So if recruiting is an issue and marketers plan on spending more in the email and video realms, and they think that they can, and they strongly believe that they can measure ROI from social media and from video and from email, then combine those tactics together in order to reach your common goal of recruiting more drivers using content examples like this. All of those different, that's one of the better examples that I've seen as far as trucking related content over on TikTok, but it's a really good example. And the engagement on that is better than the overwhelming majority of companies that are putting out, you know, we need drivers, we pay, you know, such and such cents per mile. That's stuff just kind of uh, just falls beyond the wayside and that they're not necessarily sure that it almost blends together and, and looks the same as everybody else. And so uh, to me, it's just a win-win situation where you're giving your drivers access to more bonuses outside of just the traditional pay that they normally get. And it increases your word of mouth marketing and it puts the onus on the recruiting team to seal the deal. And I think that this is a program that you can rinse and repeat for the future because this is where a lot of companies should be spending their time and energy and they're not. And so that means when they're not spending their time and energy and the numbers on videos like that prove that there is there is advantages out there that you need to be thinking outside of the box to solve a very, very complex problem. And this is probably a really good chance to segue into our interview with Tom Augenthaler, who from he's from the Influence Marketer. And Tom, I'm hoping you can shed some light on this for us because why don't you think more companies are taking social media influencer marketing seriously after I just got done ranting about 
Well, I, I think that there's um, there's probably several reasons for that. Uh, first of all, we're talking about a B2B arena here, and it's a little bit different than it is in the consumer arena. You know, think of consumer arena, think, you know, like Nike sneakers or, you know, fa- some other fashion thing or beauty products or something like that, where it's pretty self-explanatory. You've got a product, there's a, you know, you know, it probably doesn't cost very much to buy it for the most part. And, um, you know, you can watch or listen to somebody talk about it, explain it, educate you about it. You can say, hey, you know what? That sounds like a good idea. I'm going to click the link and buy some of that. Um, in the B2B realm, it's a bit different. So as you were just explaining with that influencer, Wazir, I think his name was, um, yes. that's a great example of what's going on here. So he's just talking about what, you know, what he had to go through to learn how to be a trucker and the whole education process. So that uh, right there, if I'm if I'm uh, uh, looking to get into the trucking business and be a trucker, that's very attractive to me because that's another person who's doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not some, I don't know, stayed website or something or some you know, generic material about what you have to go through some blog post or something. It's, you know, a person talking about it, what he went through, how he did it, what, he, you know, what are the, what are some of the tips to, to learn how to do it better, faster, uh, you know, like, like cooperating with the other people that are doing it with you, you know, co-educating each other like that. Um, not, not unlike, you know, what you see people doing in a u- university environment, right, where they have study group teams and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much the same theory there, but, you know, a B2B enterprise doesn't look at itself as necessarily appealing to the end consumer. So that's the reason why the idea of influencers doesn't come into the mindset, right? They have a staid way of marketing and it's, you know, for decades it's worked. Um, But now things are shifting so rapidly that they've got to adapt. And if they don't adapt, they're going to get left behind. Why do you think that there's sort of a stigma attached to investing in social media more, investing into more creative content, like what, what we saw with uh, w- with the trucking related content? Is, is there some kind of stigma, I think, around with like B2B companies and influencers? Well, yeah, there's the first of all is the word influencer. I think that's mm-hmm. part of the problem. So when we think of the the term, you think Instagram, you think of all of these different blowups that have happened that have been reported in the media about some of them being crybabies or whatever it is. And, you know, they, I don't know, they want free stuff. They don't want to have to work, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. So uh, it's, um, that's the stigma, but the reality is quite different. So, uh, you know, a B2B firm doesn't have to worry about those types of influencers. What they're looking for is something completely different. So they're looking for you know, probably guys and gals like Wazir, right? Um, if if you're looking to 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 get influencers to help recruit people for your trucking enterprise, well, that would be the kind of influencer you'd want to contact and engage. Um, maybe you're looking to get in front of your end customers a little bit better, the other the other businesses that you that that you support that who are your customers, um, and maybe those in, maybe some of those influencers. Uh, have a direct, you know, have the ear of those customers where you don't, and they understand them a little bit better. So you can, you know, work through those influencers to communicate with those customers, those end customers better, those other businesses. 
Now, you've been involved with influencer marketing for a very long time, much more, I think, longer than the the word influencer has sort of been like a common phrase that people know of. Can you give us a little bit of, of a background of your career and how you got started in influencer marketing? Oh, sure. I mean, I got started in it by accident. Um, I was at HP and I, w- <laughs> I was part of their PR team there. And this is around 2007, 2008. And the economy was starting to tank and bad things were happening and banks and, you know, failing and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of other businesses were going out of business, including uh, magazines and media outlets, which I did business with. I, I mm. relied on them to get the word out to my end customer, right? So when a lot of those were drying up, I was kind of flapping around looking for who else can I work with here to get the word out about the products so that the the consumers know, you know, that we're the product that they're they're going to want to look at. So I started working with bloggers because that's what they were known as in those days. (laughs) This is before a lot of the social media platforms really gained steam and things like that. I was a blogger. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So you know what I'm talking about. Um, Exactly. I, and and what I found was that the bloggers had a great connection with the consumers that I wanted to reach on behalf of HP. So uh, it was it was a it was a natural fit. They produced content that resonated really well. It was very engaging. It was it was well thought out and um, created, and they were in constant contact with that audience. Where I wasn't, even though I was with HP, and you know we were, you know. A part of the PR team, really, the, what the what a PR team does is interface with the media. So it's it's you know you're thinking about magazines and online outlets and you know newspapers and TV things like that, um, where we were really engaged with them. We weren't so engaged with the end consumer, and as a result of working with the bloggers, I became much more engaged with those end consumers. Then I could question those consumers and ask them things about what they were looking for, what they wanted to see in products, what they expected out of the brand, you know, or any any brand for that matter. And I got a lot of great intelligence and I brought that back inside to the organization and shared it. And, um, you know, they were like, wow, this is great material. It's better than the focus groups were, <laughs> were hiring to, you know, find this out from. Because a lot of focus group material is really just, you can just throw it out because it really isn't that helpful. Well, so... You're in influencer marketing, you get started with the bloggers, and then you sort of go out on your own and you start up your own company. So what are the, I guess, the the common pitfalls that you're facing whenever you, or that a company is facing whenever you're approaching them about starting up an influencer marketing program? Is there any hesitation or are they more willing to sort of jump into it now? Um, I wouldn't say they're willing to jump into it. I'd say they put their toe in the water, right? Mm-hmm. So they they want to take the temperature and see what it's all about. They want to see how it works because there's a lot of misinformation out there. Well, not misinformation, but just it's just shallow information. It's not really complete information about how this is all done. And what material is out there, most of it is geared around consumer stuff. So again, like beauty brands and, you know, like L'Oreal and, you know, fashion brands and travel and things like that. So most of the material that's published about influencer marketing is is focused on that. So that's part of the, the misconception there. So part, when I start working with a brand, it's a lot of it is right up front. I show the, I show them a pro, the process. And then I talk to them about, 
you know, what's involved and how it works. So that right there, there's an education process. And once they start getting a little educated, they're like, oh, I get it. You know, this is how it works. And this is who we're looking for. And uh, this is how to set up a, you know, a relationship with one of these people. And, you know, that's another thing. I'm very key on the idea of long-term relationships with influencers mm -hmm. because they're going to be around for a long time and they're not going away anytime soon. So you might as well get used to it and you might as well start working with them now, because if you do, you're probably going to get ahead of your competition because they're not doing it. And you'll be establishing relationships with people who are probably going to be producing content like this, like Wazir, uh, for the foreseeable future. And hey, get in on the ground floor now. I mean, you know, 15 years from now, when he's doing, I don't know, whatever he's doing, he's probably still going to be producing some content because I've been working with some influencers for 10 years and they're still doing the same thing. Hmm. And so when you are, are, are talking with the companies and say they, they're ready to move forward to that next step, are you providing a list of influencers to them or do they kind of have a good idea of who they want to chat with? Uh, is it, is it, I, I think a lot of, times yeah. whenever I hear about influencer marketing, it's like, oh, well, you look for the ones that have the real followers, not the fake ones. And, and I, I wonder how that falls into your workflow and process. Yeah, it's, uh, it, well, as I, as I correspond and communicate with the people at the brand, I, I, at the company, I start to understand what kind of marketing they're doing. What have they traditionally done? What are they, you know, what are they looking to do that's a little bit different? Yeah, I ask questions about what they're doing on social media. You know, I, I, I look at, you know, their content marketing plan. You know, if they've got some campaigns, you know, coming out the next quarter, next couple of quarters, what do they look like? And that gives me a real window onto how they're thinking about things. Now, mm. very often, there will be people inside the company that are already following some influencers. They just haven't reached out to them yet. And once I get a handle on what their ICP is, meaning their ideal customer profile, right? What does that ideal customer profile look like? Well, then we can, we can really start to find the influencers who speak to those ICPs so that we can start building that list. But, uh, but it's sometimes it's a mixed plot. Sometimes it's, They've got some people that they've been watching and they would like to include them in the list. And then there's, you know, there's other companies that are like, we have no idea <laughs> who to even start, you know, looking at. <laughs> right. and, and it's like, okay, but once I get the intel on how the company's operating, like I said, about content marketing and social media marketing, all these other things and what their their ideas and where, where do they want to go, right? What are their goals? So, hmm. you know, what are they looking to do? by marketing through something like this? Is it to drive brand awareness? Is it to, is it to, you know, is it to, is it to, to drive more uh, consideration for their service or product? So it depends on the goal and the objective too, because some influencers are really good at driving awareness and then others are better at, you know, actually selling the product or service, right? So you want to try to find the right ones for that customer journey, as we in marketing like to call it, you know, it's kind of a messy journey, actually. But <laughs> we like to pretend that it's like they go from point A to B to Z to C to D. To, you know, they go right down the right. little the little line, and then boom, they make you, you make a sale, and it's all closed, and everybody's happy. But idea, but really, it's a bit more like a, they're going around and they're looking, and you like know. a bowl but of you spaghetti wanna, almost. Yeah, you want to make sure that you are all in all those spots where they're going to go. And they keep coming back to you, right? And, I, and I influencers, think I heard you, 
can fill the, a lot of those gaps. And I, I heard you mention too that a, a key part of finding out that journey, that spaghetti journey, is uh, psychographics. Can you break down what the psycho? Am I saying that right? Psychographics. I feel like I'm talking about a crazy person. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not like uh, Mindhunter with uh, you know looking for you know hunting down psychopaths or something serial killers. No, it's not like that. <laughs> it's like you could you know demographics, right? We've got you know. The you know the age of the ideal customer, the the gender, the role they're in now at whatever company it is, you know if it's vice president, senior director, director, whatever it is, um, you know where the geography, all that kind of stuff. Psychographics is more about like right, what are their pain points, right? What are they? What are the? What's the trouble they're encountering encountering now, and how can it best be solved? Where where do they want to go? Right. In their own career and in with on behalf of the job they're in, what are they looking to achieve? What is the company looking to achieve? Right. So if you if you could start to picture some of this and start to figure out how these people are thinking and how they're operating, then you could figure out where they're going for their information. Hmm. Right. So and then, who yeah. they're following. Right. Now, who they're following, that's a big deal. So, you know. Uh, you know, I think a lot of aspiring truckers might be looking at Wazir and saying, hey, you know, this is a this is a guy who's, you know, he's he's landed out there. He's telling it like it is, man, this is what I want. Right. This is like for a few, you know, watching a few of his videos, <laughs> I've learned more in 10 minutes than I would reading all these blog posts and stuff for two weeks. Right. So it's also and it's a person. So he's very personable and he's kind of funny and he's you know it's like so it's going to resonate with you a lot better as a, as a watcher as a viewer right so that's one of the other benefits of influencers is, is they have a way of telling stories mm -hmm. and they tell stories in a way that resonates with other people because that's how we remember things we remember things in terms of stories i mean to this day people are still talking about the iliad and the odyssey which are really just elaborate stories in college right and that's why a lot of books stick around for as long as they do. Like the great Gatsby, for God's sake, was written in the 1920s, right? But I mean, people are still talking about it because it's a great story, right? So if you could get people like influencers to tell the story about your brand or whatever product or service it is that you have, that's going to resonate a lot more with the, the, the end customers you're trying to reach. And I I was sort of harping on this for a while when I was breaking down this story and showing how good his videos are. And to me, if I'm the company that he's driving for or a, maybe a competitor, I'm seeing this content and I want him driving for me and I want to use mm -hmm. his content. And I, I'm having a hard time understanding why a company wouldn't reach out to a driver and say, I will pay you for this. You've already created it. I'll pay you for this content or I want you to make something special for us. Am I off base in that thinking? No, you're not. Um, a, a lot of companies don't know what to do with it. I mean, they look at it and they're like, wow, was yours like producing all these videos and stuff? Like, um, should we do anything with that? I mean, should we reach out to him? Um, what do we do with a guy like him? Well, get used to it because more and more people are going to do it because all of these social media platforms are enabling each and every one of us to become a content creator. Every one of us can have our own channel, right? I mean, think of it on YouTube. I bet you, I bet you 90% of this audience right now watching your show live 
goes on to YouTube and watches podcasters there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, look, think about Joe Rogan. Who is Joe Rogan? He's a he's a stand up comedian who was on Fear Factor. Okay, I never really watched Fear Factor. I knew what it was, but I never really watched it. But Where they eat gross stuff. Yeah, they eat gross stuff and do <laughs> and do things crazy things. Like, yeah, yeah, get you get you out of your comfort zone, I guess. And uh, you know, but but watch his podcast. He he talks to some of the most interesting people, and the I mean. He, he talks to them for like two hours at a pop, you know? So, uh, you know, it's, it's engaging, it's thought provoking, it's educational and it's everything TV isn't right. So it's regular people who are creating content and, you know, they're, they're voicing their experiences and their stories. And I think a, a company like, that was years working for would be really smart to reach out to them and say, Hey, we love what you're doing. This is great. Keep it up. You know, maybe we'll pay you a little extra to do more, you know? Uh, and, uh, and that was my first thought is why not? If you're that company, he's already making the recruiting material for you. So pay him some extra yeah. bonuses and then you can use that in all of your different marketing. And it's an extra income stream for, for the drivers and in, in order to, to, pursue and, and get better at it and, and do have something creative to do in their off time. Um, so I, but there's also the flip side of it where should companies as especially trucking companies, whenever they're reaching out to drivers, what are some of the pros and cons, I guess, of, of user generated content? Should it sort of be just let them create and you'll pick out what you like the best or should there be some kind of parameters? What, what are those, some of those pros and cons? Yeah, you're always going to want to work within some parameters. And I actually, I think creativity works better when it's, when you're giving somebody some parameters because it forces them to, to, to think about it a little differently and probably a little bit more, you know, for lack of a better word, creatively, right? So mm-hmm. they're going to, the, the parameters you're going to want to put are probably going to be pretty wide guardrails, but at the same time, you know, some of the things like don't trash competitors, um, you know, you're not going to want to talk about uh, internal things of the company that you might know about that are going on. Don't talk about personal changes in the company. You know, if some executive left or something like that, just, you know, just it's not important anyway, from the point of view of your viewers. Um, it, it just stay away from that kind of stuff and stick to what it is that you're doing with the company and how you're doing it. Right. Because honestly, a guy like Wazir working for that trucking company, he's a good window into how that company thinks and how what its values are. And that's very important to younger people today who are mm-hmm. looking to get hired, right? They're they're not just they don't want to just get hired by any company. They really a lot of them want to find a company that sort of matches their values to a degree and you know thinks the way they think. So it's not really so much about just signing on and getting paid and blah, 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 blah. Now I'm just another cog in the machine. It's like, well, I want to be able to contribute something more to the world. And, you know, Wazir's doing it through his content. And look at he's 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 doing a great service. At the same time, you want to make sure they don't go off the reservation, so to speak, right? I mean, for lack of a better term, okay? So you you want to make sure that they don't just wander off into the wilderness and, you know, start talking about things that are, you know, unrelated to trucking, right? 
Um, and, and, and that was actually going to be my next question was, was should companies have a social media policy when it comes to their drivers or should it only apply to the content that they're creating? Anybody they employ should be following some guidelines. I think that's reasonable. Um, I mean, some companies have a lockdown mentality, Blythe. And I mean, I, I have worked for some of those companies, right? I mean, I remember, you know, this is a long time ago, and I don't think it's <laughs> the case today, but HP at the time, when I was part of their PR team, we had a lockdown. No employees spoke to any influencer or PR or, or media person without going through the PR department. And there were some good reasons for that, right, um, at the time. But nowadays, I think you can relax some of that, uh, not in regards to media outlets. I, I think that that's probably pretty true. I think the PR department should have the, the, the first word and last word on that. But I think that in terms of social media, what's to stop employees from talking about, hey, you know, this is how we, you know, this is how we think when we're putting together our products or our services. And this is how we operate. And this is how we treat our customers. And this is how we listen to our customers. And, you know, this is how we came up with this idea and we decided to put it out there. Um, there's nothing really wrong with that. I mean, I think that that's, that's great because that tells that's telling the strengths of the firm and it shows that people are enthusiastic to work there. Um, when I was still at HP, some of the first, you know, first company people that started doing this were people like Robert Scoble. And Robert worked for Microsoft and Robert started a blog and that's how he began doing what he's doing today. Now he's He's, he's doing stuff with virtual reality and artificial intelligence, I think. But uh, uh, Robert started when he was with Microsoft and he had a simple blog. And really, we just talk about, hey, this is what we're doing at Microsoft. You know, and this is how we think about things. And this is, you know, this is how we, we approach product development. This is how, you know, we market it. And this is this is why. Right. And people found that interesting because it's like, <laughs> you know, it's not stuff you're going to find in a press release. <laughs> Right. And, and would you say that that's a good example of how, because I know that we've talked a lot about driver recruiting in, in this show, but logistics obviously touches a, a lot of different points in, in different careers and, and, and different aspects. What are some other applications of, of how influencers can be utilized within other sectors of the logistics industry? Well, I mean, yeah. All right. So you've got um, their connection with your ICP, your ideal customer, is one thing, right? So right there, if if you're using, if you're working with influencers intelligently, you're going to be asking them a lot of questions. So it's like, what are you hearing out there in the marketplace? You know, you can get market intelligence from them. Um, you know, they're part of, very often they're part of other groups of influencers who chat a lot together. So, you know, they'll be hearing things about different brands. They'll be hearing things about the industry in general. They'll be hearing about technological improvements that are being implemented somewhere, you know, in the industry. Um, they're going to be, you know, hearing about you know, all sorts of things like that. So, I mean, that's one of the things to really leverage influencers for. It's not just putting out content. I think brands get caught up in this. This is, this is a, a big stumbling block for them. They think, well, here's another outlet. Let's just push some content out through these influencers. Well, that's not the way to think of it. Instead, think of it as a an opportunity to co-create content together. Mm. So bring them into the fold a bit. Let them understand how your company operates, right? And that means giving them some exposure, 
to the management of the company, right? Let them get to know you a little bit, right? Let them get to know how the company thinks and operates. Now, I mean, a, a brand that does this really well, I'm going to go back to the consumer arena for this, but they do this really well, is L'Oreal. L'Oreal has a, a small group of influencers that are very, I guess, you know, they're, they're kind of the cream of the crop as far as L'Oreal is concerned. And they invite these influencers in to come visit the company headquarters, meet with the executives, check out the labs, see how the see how the products are, you know, developed, things like that. You know, sit down with the executives, get to know them, do a little whining and dining with them. And then what they do is they take that all that messaging out and they and they and they talk about L'Oreal in very positive terms because of that. Now, what that does is it resonates throughout the influencer sphere, if you want to call it or influencer. I used to call it the blogosphere. We'd have to call it something else these days. But it, it would, <laughs> it, it, they would, they, it, all that messaging matriculates out because a lot of up and coming influencers will follow those people, right? So they want to, they want to emulate them, right? So, so and so became an insider with L'Oreal. How do I become an influencer like that, right? How do I build my own brand like that? So they're going to follow those influencers. So the point is, is that. You have influencers in the logistics industry that are doing similar things. Uh, the idea is to get to know them, bring them in, befriend them, make relationships with them. You could co-create content with them. You can also get market intelligence from them. You can find intelligence out about how your customers are thinking, you know, what they're feeling, uh, what they're worried about, what they're excited about, all those psychographics we talked about before. You can get a lot of that through some of the some of the influencers are working with and you know you could even you know, can even do more than that i mean you could invite the influencers in at some point to you know actually host some of your events right you can ask them to mc some of your events you could because what that does is is it 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 makes the content even for your internal communications a lot more interesting right fun <laughs> And fun, right? I mean, it's it's more engaging, and it's and it's actually the employees can actually learn something because, you know, let's face it, a lot of, a lot of I there was one executive when I was at HP, I will not name names. This guy <laughs> walked onto a stage, he sucked the air right out of the room. It's like, every, it's like everybody in the room is just like, <sighs> they're like all their eyes would glaze over, and everybody would just be sort of droning off into like you know dreamland or something they wouldn't even be listening but some people are like that right they're just right. not dynamic exciting speakers well a lot of the influencers are because they're they're so used to creating content and and being in front of people that they're really engaging right that's why they develop followings i mean wazir is you know just his is what you were talking about in terms of what he's built on tiktok is fabulous and that shows that he's really engaging and just watching the clips that you showed here on the show I was like, boy, that guy's really entertaining. I, I would, I would watch him just to learn more about what it's like to be a trucker, right? Right, just from the <laughs> educational standpoint, and I, and I think that that sort of speaks to the larger role of you know, so many people learned the importance of supply chain and logistics last year when when all of their goods that they're ordering are affected. And I couldn't help but but think about previous instances where I've been invited to do warehouse tours, and I've been inside of a trucking office and been able to see how the sausage is made. And I think your L'Oreal mm -hmm. example is a really great example 
example that other companies can take from that, that when, you know, you're, you're technically safely allowed to allow people back into the workplace and allow them to take those kind of tours. I think that that is a great example of how you can involve some of that behind the scenes, you know, content getting made and allow people, allow the creative people to be creative. Now I, I want to get into a couple more questions because, because we got a few minutes left now from the, the, let's go back to the drivers for a second. Are there any okay. challenges for working on an influencer deal with the company that also employs you? Or is that kind of just a, a synergy that they can develop? I think it's a synergy they could develop. I think the company has to be a little enlightened and think a little differently about their employees. So the employees are not just clocking in time and then you're just paying them every two weeks. It's a little more about, well, hey, look, these are the people that are making everything run, right? So I think employees very often are, they're not, they don't, they're not given the respect they're due, right? I think um, some executives are very focused on shareholders, especially if it's a public company. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, rightly so. Shareholders are extremely important, right? They're the ones that are buying the stock and doing things like that. But your employees are the ones making the business run, right? So they're the ones answering the phones, answering the emails, developing the presentations, coming up with product, coming up with new services, figuring out licensing deals, you know, handling your risk management, all these other things, right? You know, your, your, your logistics and everything else. So, the, you know, the employees are, are critical to it. I think the, I think the, the employees also should start thinking about their role a little differently as well. I think a lot of employees might be thinking, well, you know, I'm being paid and I do my job and that's it. Well, is that all your career is to you? Um, mm. Or do you want to do something more with it? Do you want to have more of an impact? Because let me tell you something, the average employee inside of a company is a lot, their role is a lot more interesting to outsiders than that employee would initially think. I think a lot of employees fall into the trap of thinking, well, what I do is really ordinary. It's not that exciting. It's not that thrilling, but you'd be surprised because like, for instance, Wazir, again, going back to him and talking about trucking and what it was like going through the trucking school to, to learn how to become a trucker. I didn't know it. I didn't know those things. So I was looking at that saying, wow, I just learned something today. You know, I mean, that's really interesting. I mean, so that's that's what a lot of employees could do. And what they do is they breathe life into your brand by doing that when they talk about it. So if they're talking about it on LinkedIn or you're doing it on Twitter, they're getting on and maybe they're maybe they're blogging, right, as part of part of your company blog. You know, you got people that want to contribute. I'll bet you have people that want to contribute. All the brands listening right now, I bet you've got employees that would like to contribute. They just don't know how. So what you need to do is open up the door a little bit and say, hey, if you'd like to contribute and you'd like to put out some stuff on social media, even our own company's social media channels, you know, let us highlight you and let's give you some basic guidelines to operate under. And then, you know, let's, let's, let's experiment a little and see how it all goes. Because if you look at typical company channels on a, on a platform like LinkedIn, the engagement rate usually is really low, right? Because they're just pumping out company announcements. It's like, we got new hirings. We've got, you know, we've got a new product. Me, me, me. It's all me, me, me. It's never about, well, what are we doing for you? right? Are we helping you enough? Here's some content for you to make your life a little easier, right? That's what the influencers very often do. They come up with content that's trying to help people. And I think if brands thought of it that way, they could leverage their employees to do that. So they wouldn't have to come up with the content themselves. The employees would already think of it and they could just leverage that. 
And I think that they could also gamify it as well, offer incentive bonuses for the highest performing content and and make it almost like a game between, you know, and rewarding, you know, maybe like a first, mm. second and third place of the month each month. And and if you're spending any kind of money in these other mediums, like, I, you know, on average for a print advertising, I think it used to go for like anywhere from five to 20 K depending on the magazine publication. And if you just take a fraction of that budget and offer that to your drivers or your employees as another incentive method then you're creating that you're creating that marketing awareness that that uh word of mouth marketing that hey did you check out this video i i sent that that tiktok from wazir i sent it out to several different people like check this out look at how good this video is and how much you can learn in just one minute clip and it was just it, it's it's that easy but it's also that difficult because he clearly put a lot of research into that and he edited and you know the sound effects and everything like that so so on the on the influencer side, we've talked a lot about how companies can kind of protect themselves um, with having, you know, sort of generic social media policies and things like that. But on the influencer side, how can they protect themselves from maybe companies who don't know what they're doing? Like you, you mentioned earlier that the educational gap of even getting started with influencer marketing is, is pretty wide. So how can these influencers protect themselves from a company that says, hey, you know, that sounds good. We want to start doing it. Uh, yeah, uh, I I think that the influencers, um, unless the influencers new to the game, they already have worked with some brands before, so they have a pretty good understanding about how to how to work with them. Um, you, there's a couple of different ways to do it. I've got influencers that I develop contracts, and then you know we 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 sign contracts this is what is expected of you this is what's expected of us for this campaign and boom you know this is the way we're going to operate now very often those are those are sponsored right so there's there's some kind of there's an exchange there's a value exchange in terms of money right so we're paying the influencer to produce some content for us but if the, if it's earned con what's known as earned content in in marketing meaning you know i i approach the influencer and the influencer says, yeah, yeah, that'd be really interesting. You know, I mean, I'd like to have that executive on as a guest on my podcast. No charge, no nothing like that. You know, uh, right there, I, I think that everything can be worked out through a simple email exchange or, uh, you know, you get on a Zoom call with them and, and you just talk to them for a few minutes and, and get a, a feel for how they operate and how you operate and just sort of verbally agree as to how things can be done. Um, I don't see influencers in the B2B realm getting taken advantage of too often. Uh, most of them are, you know, they're pretty savvy people. I think that some of the newer people coming up, some of the younger people might, you know, they might, they might be a little gullible maybe. Uh, I think that where the influencer could be taken advantage of is when the brand wants lots and lots of content developed for not a lot of compensation. Yes. Um, <laughs> and that's where the trouble comes in because really, look, you know, a guy like Wazir, you could look at that video on TikTok and go, oh, that must have been pretty simple to make. But to your point, Blythe, you just pointed out how much editing that guy probably did to those videos to make them so succinct, hard-hitting, and 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 fun um, that he put a lot of effort into that. I mean, he 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 probably spent I don't know a couple hours maybe putting together I, some of those. I, I, th I think he probably spent 
one to two hours brainstorming it. And then after he shot all of the footage, which is only a few, I mean, you're, you're setting up the camera, you're doing the shot, you're saying, yeah. is that a good take or not? Then you're redoing the shot when it's not. And then afterwards, you're editing it for probably two hours for just that one minute video. So it's it's yeah. a lot of work that is involved with creating content that I think yeah. a lot of companies don't realize. Yeah, I, I, it's another thing. Also, keep in mind, uh, brands should keep in mind that companies should keep in mind that you know, if you're asking an influencer to write a blog post, an 800 to a thousand word blog post, well, that takes time. It's not that they just whip it out in 20 minutes and it's done. I mean, you know, it's it's writing is sort of an agonizing process and could take several hours just to develop that. So, uh, you know, the same with and video can be even more intensive depending upon the, the video or the length of the video. And, you know, are you going to include captions in it, right? I mean, well, all of these things, and how are you going to brand the framing of the video? So, I mean, all of right. that requires special software to do, and it requires a certain level of expertise if you want it to look, you know, quasi-professional. So I think that that's one of the ways the influencers can get taken advantage of. It's like, like, hey, you know, a company could reach out to them and say, hey, we'd love to work with you, blah, 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 blah. Can you do a series of videos on this, this, and this? And it's easy to get wrapped up in from the influencer's point of view to saying, yes, yes, yes. And then all of a sudden they're doing, you know, 18 hours worth of work and they're not getting, and they're getting paid on three or four hours worth of work. Right. right. So I think the influencer needs to think pretty carefully about how much time it's going to take, you know, their workflow and, and what it takes to produce that kind of content. Be honest with yourselves about how much time it takes. I'm not saying, you know, you know, pad it, but I'm just be honest about it, right? So, and put um, it in writing. I, I think that that's all, you know, really in great writing. insight. And then Even that way everybody so clear. An email exchange or something like that. I mean, at least it's in writing and, you know, you've got a company representative who agreed to it. So, you know, very often in the B2B space, I find that that works or an SOW, you know, a, a statement of work, something like that. Uh, all, all really great insight, Tom. Thank you for sharing all of that with us. Where can folks find more of your work in, in order to find out how to work with influencers from both a, a content creator perspective and also a business perspective? Sure. Um, my website is probably the first stop that's called theinfluencemarketer.com. And there you can find out more about me. You can find, you know, I, I, I blog a lot about these topics and, um, you know, the ways that brands can work with influencers and vice versa. And then also I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you, uh, T is in Tom, last name, Augenthaler. You will find me right there. And um, I would love to connect with more people. I love to connect and uh, share information value. And, um, you know, so that's, that's, those are the two places you can really find me. Perfect. Thank you so much, Tom. It was great chatting with you and uh, shedding some light on the influencer world that hopefully will soon be taking over the B2B space. Thank you again. <laughs> Thanks, Blythe. I loved it. It was, it was wonderful talking to you. Likewise, Tom. Thank you very much. A lot of great insight from that interview with Tom. I, I think, you know, in, influencer marketing, as, as Tom was saying, it kind of has a, a bad, uh, I guess, connotation to it. But it's really, influencer marketing has always existed. It's one of those things where you, you hire, you used to hire a celebrity in order to promote a product, but now you can hire people that are more in your niche. And if you can find those people within your niche, it's going to go a lot further for you. Even if your niche is a new truck driver who doesn't know 
a thing about truck driving and all of a sudden stumbles upon some content that tells you how to get through schooling and, and what a reefer truck is and, and how to, you know, fill out your logs and all that good stuff. That That's all information that's going to be taught to a potential driver anyways. And you have truck drivers out there that are already creating this content. So this is a really great example of how you can apply this not only in freight, but in other aspects of your company, uh, warehouse, software, uh, you know, even coming to tour a facility. This is all great insight that you can start to maybe, you know, get the wheels turning a little bit for lack of a better phrase in order to get those creative juices going and how you can take some of that marketing budget that you already have and put it towards these areas where you're going to get more bang for your buck. That that uh, plenty of drivers out on YouTube and other social media platforms have thousands and thousands of followers and, and other creators out here just pray that they can get to the numbers that these drivers are already at. So they're, they're looking for more pay. They're looking for more benefits and more, you know, sort of a, you know, an upward trajectory of their career. So why not be that, that platform that gives it to them? And so that was my, my little bit of a rant for today. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Once again, my name is Blythe Bermerleaf. You can find all of my work over at digitaldispatch.io along with my social media channels. Be sure to give me a follow and we will be right back here next week with a fresh new show. Thank you so much.